Well, we are in a study on Sunday mornings about the Beatitudes that are recorded in Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking at each one individually. Today we're looking at that third Beatitude. And this is a tough Beatitude. Not like any of them are easy, right? But this is one, there's so much misunderstanding about the word that sometimes in our mind we quickly dismiss it as something that we really don't want to attain. So that's the challenge for today, to go to this particular beatitude and really pull out what Jesus meant by this word. And here's the beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Isn't that great to know? I want to be part of that group. How about you? I want to be meek so I can inherit the earth, whatever that means as well. You know, someone has said that the beatitudes are the preamble to the kingdom of heaven. And certainly as you study the teachings of Jesus about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, uh, we find out quite quickly that the worldview that Jesus has is entirely different than the worldview of the kingdoms of this world that are always seeking to squeeze us and pressure us to conform to its way, right? In fact, in his trial prior to his crucifixion, Jesus is before Pilate, who's the governor of the time. And Pilate's asking him a series of questions. And one of the questions is to Jesus, do you even know why you're here? Why do you think you're here today? And Jesus says, my kingdom, here's it is in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom that I have is far greater and superior, greater authority, greater power than you could ever imagine. That's what he means. My kingdom is not like the way you think kingdoms are. My kingdom is not of this world. And not when you look at that and we study these Beatitudes, it's rather obvious that we as citizens of the kingdom are to live in a different way, right? And when we live in that different way, that's when we're the salt of the earth and the lie of the world. We're, we're that influence. But not only is his kingdom different, we as his followers are to be different. When he speaks of these Beatitudes and he sums them up, he tells his followers in verse 19 that whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now there's another word as well, right? You'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a stark contrast, isn't it? About how greatness is defined in the kingdoms of this world and in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, one time Jesus heard his disciples and they're arguing. Do you remember what they're arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest, right? In this kingdom of heaven, Jesus, that you're setting up. And the mother gets involved too, right? <laughs> Who's going to be the right and left hand? Who's going to be the greatest? Now, Jesus had taught his disciples over and over and over again, when you practice and teach these commands that I've given you, referring to the Beatitudes, uh, you'll be great in heaven. But here they are. They're arguing. Well, Jesus instructs his disciples and you and me as well through Matthew chapter 20 about what it means to be great. And here's what he says. You know that the Gentile rulers lorded over others and their high officials exercise authority over others. Uh, not so with you. See it? Instead, whoever wants to become what? Great among you must be your servant. Just as the Son of Man is not here to be served, here's the example, but to do what? To serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. 
Now, in our world, being great is accumulation of power, right? That you get to exercise over somebody else. Jesus says, in reality, the eternal greatness is learning how to be meek, to be servant. And this is the heart of the beatitude here. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And clearly what Jesus has in mind is we're to be like him, aren't we? We're to be Christ-like since Jesus uses this term meek to describe his own life. I point you to Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. He's about to go into Jerusalem where he's facing the crucifixion. And there he gives these instructions, and here they are. And he's speaking about himself. Tell the people of Jerusalem, your king is coming to you. Who's the king he's talking about? Jesus, the Messiah. He is what? Meek and riding on a donkey. He's not going to be on a white horse, not going to be a conquering general. But this time he's coming, see, on a donkey in meekness. When you read Isaiah 40 through 66, some 27 chapters of Isaiah, it's that particular section there is dealing with the Messiah who will arrive in this earth. And it says that this Messiah will be a meek servant. But not only will he be a meek servant, he is going to be a suffering servant. Not any image of what they thought a conquering Messiah would look like. A meek suffering savior meek suffering servant and jesus perfectly fits all those descriptions that you find from isaiah 40 through 66 of the meek and the suffering servant now there's a word that rhymes with meek what is that word weak now the word meek rhymes with weak right but there is nothing weak about being Meek. You want to try to say that again? <laughs> meek rhymes with weak, right? But there's nothing weak about being meek. Jesus is meek. Jesus is that suffering servant. In fact, that's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're to follow in Christ's steps. What does he mean there? He's talking there about the gentle Christ, the meek Christ, to follow in his steps. Well, what did he do? When people insulted him, he did not insult them back. When he was suffering, he did not threaten them. No, he let God take care of him. God is the only one who judges rightly. There is nothing weak about being meek. There's nothing weak about Jesus in his sufferings on the way to the cross and on the cross. It took a tremendous amount of power a tremendous amount of restraint for Jesus not to retaliate, right? That's strength. So what we learn from Jesus about meekness, it's not weakness, it is submission. It is submitting to what God wants us to do. It is strength under control. Strength under control. Jesus told Pilate, I could right now call down a legions of angels and wipe you all out. Well, why didn't you? <laughs> That's how we feel, right? But Jesus, I could have done that, but why didn't he? Because Jesus was meek, and Jesus wanted to fulfill the prophecy of that suffering servant, and this was not his time. Now notice, Jesus could have, right? But he chose not to. 
When you read in the Sermon Mount later on that when you're hit on one side of the cheek, you're to do what? Turn the other cheek. Uh, you don't have to. If someone hits you on one side, you slug them twice on the other, right? You don't have to, but a person who's under control, who's under restraint, chooses not to. This is the example that Jesus gives here. And look how he had to do this. He never did anything wrong. Their accusations, their punishment, their abuse, their slander, their mocking is all unjust and undeserved. And if anyone ever had a right not to act meek, to retaliate, it was Jesus. Amen? Had every right. And yet Jesus said, Peter says, follow his example of being meek. And then he proceeds to give concrete examples. Show meekness in your marriage. Show meekness in your church family. Show meekness by not repaying evil with evil or insult with insult. Uh, you have inherited the blessing from God for meekness. Show meekness by watching your words and seeking peace. And you say, that's just not possible. You don't know who I'm married to. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I mean, I don't even sit on the same person when we used to go to church in the same pew, right? I'm much better at home because I don't have to deal with that person. And you're telling me not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's just impossible. Well, Jesus takes away all of our excuses, doesn't he? Every one of our examples, every one of our excuses. Because Jesus, in the worst of conditions, remained meek. That's the example. That's strength under control. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. And this is important because many people think being meek is a personality trait you're born with. Some have it and some don't. Well, that person was just born to be a gentle person. That person was just born to be a meek person. Meekness is not a personality trait you're born with. It's a strategy that's developed. It's something that is learned. And this is what Jesus tells us here, right? Take my yoke upon you. Connect your life to me. Stay yoked to me and do what? Learn of me. Learn from me. There's something I want to teach you about life. But the only thing I can teach you about life in this particular instance is you have to be yoked to me. But when you're yoked to me, you will learn of me. You will learn how to be what? Lowly in heart and meek. You will learn the strategies of how to be meek, to submit to God's will and have the necessary strength that's under control. And that's how Jesus develops that meekness within all of us, that self-control. Now, there is a power in the lack of self-control. We see it all the time in Proverbs 25, verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. A person that's totally out of control is a very powerful individual. They lack self-control. It's not contained control, but it's powerful, but it's also very destructive, isn't it? When someone loses their cool, when someone loses control of what they're going on, when they're like a hurricane that just blows in, to a relationship, it's powerful, it's damaging, it's destructive, isn't it? And it's like a city with a broken walls. There's no constraint, there's no boundaries, and they break those boundaries, and they destroy relationships. And Jesus says, you need to learn how to develop the strategy of being under control, of submission to God. For blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Now, why is that difficult for us? I think we fear that word, don't you? We fear it. I mean, if I don't take care of myself, who's going to? I can't let people walk all over me. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. you got to take the bull by the horns. We're like rats on a sinking ship. Man, do you have a depressing attitude about life, right? I don't want to live in a dog-eat-dog world. I don't even want to eat a dog to begin with, right? I don't want to take a bull by the horns. Have you ever seen a bull out in the pasture? I don't want it anywhere near a bull with horns. And I don't see myself as a rat in a sinking ship just climbing over other rats to get to the top. Is that really the way you want to live? Is that really a motivation to live a life that's blessed? And yet here's our fear. If I don't act that way, then I'm the dog that's eaten. You know, I'm the man that's gored. I'm the rat that sinks with the ship. I'm going to lose everything. I won't gain anything. Are you with me? See it? Hear it? So being weak is a strategy we have. I mean, being meek is a strategy we, we have. Being meek is a strategy we have to learn. It's not being weak. It's not being timid. It's not being cowardly. It's not being a pushover. Not at all. Jesus said he was a meek man. There are certain things in life, if you have conviction, you will get angry about, right? Jesus went into the temple and was angered by the sins that he saw, and in righteous anger, cleaned the temple. He wasn't a nice person that day. There are things in life where you need to stand up, where you need to have courage, and not be timid. In fact, Paul himself said to Timothy, the spirit that God gave us does not give us timidity, but rather it gives us power, love, here's your word, self-discipline, power under control. And Solomon told us in Proverbs that the wicked, because of their guilt, run, a, run around afraid of their shadows, but the righteous are as bold as lions. When you're filled with guilt, you worry, you see fear in everything, and you run from it, it's just a shadow. But the righteous are to be what? Bold as lions. There's confidence there, strength of a lion. And then in Hebrews, it says the righteous live by faith, and they do not shrink back, and they are saved. And in that particular context, it says God loves those who do not shrink back. So the Bible, would you agree, cannot contradict itself? So when the Bible tells us to be meek, it's not talking about being timid, pushover. It's not talking about us not being bold or confident in our faith or, or all these other things. Shrinking back, we need to stand up because there's times we need to stand up. But what it's talking about is restraint, exercising peace and calm, being the person who's under the submission, the control of God, letting God use us for his will. Does that make sense? Now, that word meek is a very interesting word, and I'm not going to go too deep into the Greek, so just let me keep it right here where we can kind of get something out of it this morning. The word meek was used with medicine, to take medicine that helps you. The word meek was also used in terms of a fresh wind, a gentle breeze on a hot day to cool you off. And you think about those descriptions there, and you think about medicine that can be useful, but you've, if you take an overdose of medicine, if you use medicine the wrong way, it can hurt you or kill you, can't it? The wind of God can be a gentle breeze, but what, a, what about when it's a hurricane or it's a tornado? It's destructive and devastating isn't it? And so these qualities of meekness 
is the idea that you're to be the helpful medicine in painful relationships. See it? You are to be the gentle breeze when someone is blown into a relationship like a hurricane and destroying everything. You bring the calm, the peace, the serenity of God to that situation. When you exercise that restraint, when you seek to bring that peace like the medicine that heals and the breeze that calms and refreshes, that's when you're the salt and the light of this world that is so upside down right now. But doesn't the world need you to act like the calming breeze right now and the helpful medicine? We got some big spoonful of medicine going down right now. It don't taste very good. It's an overdose. People are just so out of control. It's a way for us to have that opportunity to live that life of meekness. Now, there's another way the word is used. It's used in the sense of an animal that is wild, that is trained to be domesticated for useful purposes. I think about the ox. I did a little bit of studying about this because we're talking about the yoke of Jesus being meek. If you put two young oxen together to a cart, you will destroy that cart. They cannot cooperate. They have no knowledge of how to use the yoke, and it will be absolute disaster. So what they do is they take an experienced older ox, and they yoke it to a younger inexperienced ox. And the older trains the younger. And initially, as that younger ox is pulling away from it, doesn't like it, the older ox calms him down, soothes him, helps him, and also carries most of the burden. The first yoke put on, usually all the burden goes on the older ox and just a little bit on the younger. But after this three or four year training process, the weight becomes more distributed as the younger gains more confidence, becomes more trained, becomes meek, it gets greater responsibility. It gets greater burdens to carry. But he always remains yoked to the older one. Now, I just love that image there. And this is what Jesus means when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Jesus, for yoking me to your life. Amen? Thank you for being my older brother. Thank you for not giving up on me when I'm pulling away from you. Thank you for carrying the heavy burdens of life that I could not carry. And thank you for training and developing me the strategies of what it means to be weak so that as more circumstances and more trials and afflictions come in life, I'm able to use my faith. I'm able to increase my hope and grow. I mean, isn't that what Paul meant when he told us as the church, let the older train the younger? Or when he told the Galatians, bear one another's burdens? Why should we expect brand new young Christians to act like an experienced older Christian? They've not been under the yoke young enough, long enough. But here is Jesus. We are not assigned to carry our burdens, to be yoked to life without him. But with him, we find that his yoke is easy. Now, that word easy means it's a right fit. It fits just right. The, the, the pulling away from it is not that the yoke is wrong. It's just that we're not used to it. We want our freedom, don't we? But when we relax with it, we realize, the ox realizes that this yoke is the right fit. And I'm here to tell you this morning, 
wherever you're listening to this podcast, the absolute best fit you can ever have in your life is Jesus Christ. Everything else will not fit right, and everything else will not work. Doesn't mean you won't pull. Doesn't mean it's not tough. Doesn't mean there's still plenty of work to be done. It took, if it takes a cow three to four years to learn, it takes us a little bit longer as humans, doesn't it? But being meek is not just being a nice person. It's not just a personality trait that some are born with and some do not have. And as difficult as it is, the cost of following Jesus to be yoked to him is at times, I'm here to tell you, it's a whole lot harder to go through life without Jesus. In fact, in Proverbs 13, verse 15, it says that the way of the transgressor is what? Hard. I sometimes laugh when I hear people say, oh, being a Christian is such hard, hard life. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. There's a price to pay for anything. There are consequences to every decision. But I'll tell you what's hard in this life is to live without Jesus. Try carrying your own burdens without. Try to live without hope, without faith, without the wisdom of God. Try living on your own by your own abilities, by your own powers. That's the hard way to live. And it's the destructive way to live. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is easy. I will teach you those strategies to live by. And one way that we learn by them is by the word of God. The Word of God is the saving factor that develops those strategies of what it means to be meek. James 1, 21. Here's where it starts. James 1. With meekness, receive God's teaching that is planted in your hearts, and you will be saved. You will be saved. Receive God's Word. Be open to it. Delight in it. Love, in it. Love His commands. Hunger and thirst after His Word, and you will be filled let that word be planted into your heart so you can have the fruit of obedience that develops the meekness that you need to have in your spirit. It's able to save yourselves. doesn't mean the word of God causes your salvation. But it means, since Jesus is our Savior, that the word of God thoroughly equips and prepares and trains and teaches us for the work that God has us to do. It gives us the strength, the control, boldness to stand up against evil and to live out our salvation. You must be in the Word of God every day to understand that. I love what this next slide says. See if you don't agree with it. Here it is. It's not how much Scripture you know, but how much Scripture you what? You live. Isn't that what James 1.21 is all about? It's not how much you know, it's how much you live it. Well, Jesus is our great example. But if you know anything about, about the Bible, there is one man in Numbers 12 that's called the greatest person on earth who live, ever lived because of his meekness, right? He had more meekness than anyone on the face of this earth. His name was Moses. The first scene of Numbers 12, we find Moses here, and here's what it says about him, that Moses was the most meek person on the face of the earth. He wasn't that way in his 40s. He wasn't that way in his 20s. When you see Moses under Pharaoh's court, he's not a meek man. I don't know when he became meek between 40 and 80, but by the time he's 80, he's now a meek man. He wasn't born a meek man. He developed that strategy. He developed that in a relationship with God. So much so, that by the time he's in his 80s, he's called the, the meekest man that's ever lived on the face of the earth and will remain that way until Jesus Christ comes on the earth. Now, why is that statement recorded here in Numbers 12? Well, look at the next scene. Here's the context. He has a brother and sister named Miriam and Aaron. No offense, Miriam. <laughs> Miriam and Aaron, okay, beautiful names, all right? But here it is. Miriam and Aaron 
are complaining and grumbling against Moses about the marriage that he has. And they begin to say, puffing themselves up, well, you know, God speaks to Moses, but God speaks to us as well. You know, we're on the same level as Moses. Next scene, the Lord calls the three siblings into the tent of meeting to meet with them there. The glory of the Lord's filling the tent of the meeting, and he says to Miriam and, and Aaron, step forward. Moses, stay back. Steps forward, and God says to Miriam and to Aaron, tell me something. Do you understand that Moses is my faithful servant? That I speak to him face to face. I don't use riddles or rhymes or, or visions. We speak face to face. How is it that you're not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, you talk about putting someone in line, right? Those siblings learned real quick that Moses had a different relationship with God than anyone else. So the next scene switches. The Lord leaves the tent of meeting, and on the way out, he gives Miriam a heavy dose of leprosy over her entire body. When this happens, she's snow white with leprosy. Aaron says, out of alarm, we were so wrong, Moses. We were so foolish. Please forgive us. Now remember, the Lord punished Miriam for what she had done, not Moses. But here's the meekness of Moses. When Moses sees this and hears their cry, here's how he responds. Next slide. He doesn't respond and say, well, the Lord gave it to you. You deserve it. <laughs> you did treat me pretty bad. Rather, it says that Moses responded by saying, please, Lord, help her. Meekness, restraint. It's a great example of meekness. Instead of retaliation and revenge, he intercedes on behalf of his brother and sister who had wronged him. And that's what the Lord calls us to do. The Lord calls us to do. Now, let's get to the last part of this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Because what we often think, if you act meek in this world, you're going to lose everything you have. But what God tells us, it's the meek who win, it's the meek who gain, it's the meek who are blessed, it's the meek who have the reward. They shall inherit the earth. Now, when you look at the first beatitude and the last beatitude, we find out we receive the kingdom of heaven. It's ours. We're part of that kingdom. We're a citizen of that kingdom. And our ruler is God. And the Bible tells us in the Psalms that the Lord owns everything, including the earth, owns everything in the earth. And therefore, since we are his children, we have him as our father, and we're part of what he has. Everything belongs to God. The meek shall inherit the earth. I think that could be explained in two ways. Present and future, here and now, eternity. There's inheritance in both. There are things that we have in this world by being meek that no other person will ever have on this world. There are things that we will inherit in the future eternity, the new heaven and new earth, that those who do not live in meekness, who live outside of God, will never, ever have. So here's Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Since we're children of God, then we're what? Heirs of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. We inherit everything, all things, from God our Father. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, as a child of God. And so we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to receive all those blessings. Here's how loving our Father is. He shares a part of that inheritance with us today. 
right? Have you ever been part of that, a family where someone says, this is going to be your inheritance, but we're going to give you some of it now and the rest later? This is what God shares with us now. We are members of the kingdom of heaven. We are under the rule of God. And being under his rule means that we share with him in the rule of God working here and now. Look in 1 Corinthians 3.21. Notice what it says about you. All things are what? Yours. Why? The world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours because you're what? You're of Christ and Christ belongs to God. All things are yours. All these things belong to him. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. Now, I think you understand this, but just about, every, in fact, all the Beatitudes, except the last one, are mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament. These are not new teachings. Rather, they're an emphasis upon what we should have in the new covenant, how we can live them out in Christ. Several times the Old Testament mentions about being blessed in reference to being meek. But I want to turn your attention to Psalm 37. And here's what I'm going to do with Psalm 37. It's such a lengthy psalm that I don't have time to go through all of it. But I hope what I say about it will spark you to look at it some more. Because it really, truly lays out what it means to live a meek life. Jesus' third beatitude, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the land or inherit the earth, comes from Psalm 37, verse 11. Now here's the background. Listen to me. The time is wicked. There is so much wickedness in the land that the people of God are asking, why do the wicked always win? Why is it that they continue to prosper and flourish? Why is it that their schemes are winning, their lies people are believing? Why is it that their unfair treatment of, of godly people is paying off? Why is it they're getting richer and richer and becoming more and more powerful? Why is that happening in the world, God, if you tell us to live a meek life. And God responds, yes, it appears they're winning. Yes, they are prospering. Yes, they are treating you poorly. Yes, what they're doing is unfair, but it's not going to last. They're not going to win. It's not going to last. It's not going to win. And here's where he makes the statement, one of seven times in Psalm 37. But the meek, will inherit the land and enjoy prosperity. It may appear that the wicked are winning. It may get you angry and upset, but I'm telling you, the meek will inherit and enjoy the land. They're like the grass that withers those that are wicked. And you have this. So here's what you find in Psalm 37. The people are fretful. They're worried. They're worried about how evil is winning, and they're upset and angry, and how evil people are succeeding in their country the word wicked is used quite a bit. The wicked are plotting, they're harming the righteous, they're exploiting the needy. Then you have the word ruthless here in Psalm 37. The wicked are ruthless in their treatment of others. They're ruthless in flourishing and gaining wealth at the expense of the godly. You have the word power. They're using their power to run large debts and not pay them back. They want to use their power to put to death anything that's righteous. So basically, they're having these, seeing what's taking place from the evil... And they're saying, God, how can the meek inherit the land? How are they going to gain? It seems like they're going to lose that these ruthless, wicked, powerful, evil people are always winning, and they're always going to inherit the land. They always seem to win. To which God says to them, and I think it sounds a little bit familiar to us, right? Does that sound like a little bit familiar to our world today? 
Can I just tell you something? 500 years from now, if Christ has tarried and people are reading from Psalm 37, you know what they're going to say? This sounds just like the world we live in because human nature never changes. This is what human nature looks like without God. This is what human nature will do without self-control. This is what human nature does without meekness, and it's here. But we're not without hope. In fact, here's what God says, trust. Trust in me. Don't fret. Don't be envious. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to him. There will be vindication, and you will receive your inheritance. Refrain. Don't get so filled with evil and wrath that it consumes you. The Lord is laughing at the wicked, not at their wickedness, but at their arrogance, at their pride, thinking that they know better than what God does. The Lord says, I laugh at their wickedness, for they, their day is coming. He says, you need to trust, you need to refrain, you need to delight in me. If you'll delight in me, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's a great statement from Psalms. It is better that the righteous have less than the wealth, than to have the wealth of the wicked. Delight in being generous good to others. Delight in doing good and not evil. And then God uses the word hope. Here's your hope. Put your hope in the Lord because you're going to inherit the earth if you're meek. Put your hope in the Lord and keep his way. He's going to exalt you. I promise you, God says, I will exalt you. You'll inherit the earth. Our hope is that our salvation comes from the Lord. He is our stronghold in times of trouble. That's what it says in Psalm 37. And he says, be still. Wait for me. Be patient. The power of the wicked will be destroyed. Wrongdoers will pass away. There is no future for the wicked. Be still because the Lord delivers the meek from the wicked and saves them and they will be rewarded. See it? The reward, your righteousness will shine like the sun. You'll inherit the land, enjoy peace and prosperity because you're under the Lord's care and the inheritance of the meek will endure forever. So walk in his steps. Follow the Lord. The Lord makes the steps firm of the meek. And though he stumble, he may not fall. The Lord holds us up. See, but the meek will inherit and enjoy the land. But the meek, in spite of what we're seeing, in spite of what sight is showing us about how it seems the wicked are prospering, it is the meek who will win. It is the meek who gain, and the wicked will lose everything. Trust and delight and hope in God. That's the blessing. You shall inherit the earth. But one more point, and I'm stopping here. What about now? What about what God gives us now as his people? There are things that you have in your yoke to Christ and learning meekness from him that no wicked person, no person outside of God will ever experience, ever in their life, without Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. What does he give us access to? Prayer. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All these things will be yours as well. You have faith. You have hope. You have love. You have miracles working on your behalf. You have wisdom and intercession and a peace that passes all understanding and a joy in times of affliction and pain. You have a purpose to work towards. You have a family of God. You have forgiveness of your sins. And that's just a partial list of all the abundant riches of his inheritance that he's given us now and will be totally completed in heaven. Amen? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Amen? I hope that this has encouraged you in your faith, has increased your hope in Jesus Christ, and that you say, I want to live as a citizen of God. I want to learn what it means 
to live in submission to God, obedience to Him, to have that strength under control. So if that strength can be used and pointed towards of living a life of salvation that's free from evil.